Wonderful. If you've got a Bible, um, let's get straight into, um, into this this morning. Um, we can just put up the, the title screen. Um, I've been uh, doing a series of talks over, um, well, since the summer on the gate of heaven, Genesis 28. Jacob has an encounter with God. He says, this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And we looked last week about rebuilding the gates of prayer. We talked about as a church and as us as individuals, we have spiritual gates that control the flow of God's power and presence in and out of our lives. And sometimes those gates might be a little bit broken for whatever reason. But what prayer and intercession does is it rebuilds the gate so that there can be that flow of God's power and presence in and out of our lives and church. Um, I want to um, look this morning at a, um, some words of Jesus. Um, so if you've got a Bible, will you turn with me to Matthew um, chapter 7? And uh, this is going to come up on the screen as well for those that want to uh, follow along on the screen. Jesus um, said these words in Matthew chapter 7. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Could everyone say the narrow gate? Um, I want to speak just for a little bit this morning then we're going to come and, and have communion together this morning about the narrow gate. Uh, Jesus talks about two roads or two paths uh, there's a wide road a wide path and a narrow road a narrow path and both of these paths or roads are accessed through gates the narrow uh, the, the the wide path is accessed through a wide gate a big gate but the narrow path the small path is accessed through a narrow gate or a small gate Jesus said that many go through the wide gate, but very few enter through the narrow gate. Jesus said that the wide gate leads to um, destruction, but the narrow gate leads to life. Who knows that everyone in this world wants life? Everyone in this world wants an eternal life, a happy life, a content life, a fulfilling life, an abundant life. And the world says that the gate, the way into that way of life is big, it's large, it's huge. There are many different ways that you can have a good life. So you can have pleasure, you can have money, you can have power, you can have fame, you can have prominence. There are all these different ways in which you can find life. Jesus said that is not the case. There is only one narrow gate into life. And the reason it's narrow is because it's only found through one person and that is Jesus. All these different ways, all these different ways that the world says, enter through this and you will get life, they ultimately lead to destruction. There is only one way to heaven. There is only one way to life. There is only one way to true joy and true peace and true, uh, true freedom. And that is through the person of Jesus. 
The reason it's a narrow gate is because it's shaped in the person of Jesus. Heaven only has one gate and that's Jesus. No other religion, no other philosophy, only Jesus, only his name, only his blood. Only Jesus can bring forgiveness. Only Jesus can give eternal life. Only Jesus saves. Only Jesus heals. Only Jesus delivers. Only Jesus sets the captives free. Only Jesus can change and transform any life and every circumstance. It's a narrow gate found only through the person of Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. But uh, I, I want to suggest this morning that this narrow gate is more than just a matter of salvation. It's a matter of discipleship. Jesus is, is not talking to a bunch of, of kind of worldly heathen, as it were. He's speaking to his own disciples, his own followers. And to them, he says, the way into life, the way into discipleship, it is a narrow gate. Few find it. You see, he goes on immediately after these verses to talk about false teachers and false prophets. And you know, even in the church today, there's a lot of false teaching about. Do you know that? There are a lot of people who say things like this, that as a Christian, you can live however you want. You can do whatever you want. And as long as you just confess Jesus, then grace will cover you. God will eventually just forgive you. And it's okay. You can live however you want. You can lead this wide life however you want. And everything will be okay. But that is not discipleship as Jesus taught it. There's even been books written in recent years that have been really popular, huge sellers that say, ultimately, there is no hell. Ultimately, there is no judgment. That ultimately, Jesus will win, love will win. And it doesn't matter how you live, how you choose, what choices you make in this life. You can do whatever you want. And ultimately, we'll all be in heaven and everything will be okay and everything will be wonderful. But that is not what Jesus teaches. Jesus said the way in, it's through a narrow gate. In other words, Jesus taught about separation, about repentance, about holiness, about purity. He said in order, if you go through a narrow gate, You've got to get rid of all the baggage. You got the, there's got to be some stuff that you get rid of in order to get through. And, and the best example I could think of was I spend a lot of time in airports. And the worst part of going through an airport is security. Anyone agree? And the, the last time I, I went to America, um, it was an early morning flight. So I didn't want to get there like ridiculously early. So I got there about an hour 30 before I was meant to, to fly. And I thought it was like 5 a.m., something like that. So I thought there'll be no queues. It'll be fine. Um, I got there to Manchester Airport, um, went to the security bit. And there was this huge backlog of people. There were like thousands of people flying and just one person manning security. And there is a gate, which is a narrow gate. 
And it's the bit where you go through and hopefully you just go through, but sometimes they might detect stuff. And, but in order to get through that narrow gate, there are restrictions. And I, I was there for, it seemed like an eternity. You know, when you're just praying for time to speed up and finally got to the bit where you put your bag on. And I'm all prepared because I'm a seasoned traveler. I don't travel. I don't wear a belt when I'm traveling. I make sure I have just trainers on that they allow you through. I've got my laptop out, my iPad out. And I finally get, and there's just me and one guy in front of me. And I look at this guy. He's got a, he's got a bun bag on. He's got a huge coat, a hat, a scarf. And I'm thinking, Jesus, just please just somehow rapture this guy. And um, they say to him, they say, um, you, you need to take your belt off, sir. And uh, he said, I'm not wearing a belt. And I'm like, it's there, right there. Everyone can see it. And finally, he takes a belt off. You need to take your coat off, sir. The coat comes off. You need to take your hat off. The hat comes on. Um, have, you got any, have you got any liquid in your bag? No, no, I don't have any liquid. Are you sure no drinks? Well, I do have a bottle of water. That has to come out, so the bottle of water comes out. And it was like Mary Poppins' bag. What? Is, have you got any medication in there? No, no medication. Well, apart from a few pills uh, that I need for, you know, this or that. So they have to come out, sir. They have to be in a separate bag. Then the laptop comes out. Then the iPad comes out. Then the phone comes out. Then the shoes come off. They were spent about 15 minutes just on this one guy. And it was like, don't you realize you can't just get through that gate the way you come. There are restrictions on what you can bring through that gate. There's stuff that you've got to get rid of. There's baggage that you've got to get rid of in order to get through that gate. And it's exactly the same with our discipleship with Jesus. If we want to live as a disciple, there's got to be some stuff that we've got to get rid of. We've got to get rid of our sin. We've got to get rid of unforgiveness. We've got to get rid of compromise. We've got to get rid of unbelief. We can't live like everybody else. There are restrictions on the life of a disciple. Uh, Jesus made purposely, purposefully restrictive statements to people a lot of the time. Jesus was the worst church growth expert in the world. People would say, Jesus, we want to join your church. He said, well, you can't. Not until you've sold everything and given it to the poor. He would say things like this, give up everything. You know, he said to the fishermen, and they already mentioned, come follow me. But in order to do that, they had to leave behind their businesses. Matthew had to leave behind his tax collector's booth, piled with money. He said things like this, you've got to take up your cross. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to cut off your hand if it causes you to sin. You've got to be willing to hate everyone in order to love me. He's using kind of extreme language to press on the point. He said things like, you've got to count the cost. You've got to love me with all your heart all your soul all your mind all your strength it's a narrow gate a restrictive gate Jesus said few find their way through that Paul said this I'm a slave of Christ I'm a bond servant he purposefully chose to live a life of obedience surrender denial in order to follow Jesus I want to suggest it goes even beyond discipleship. You see, the word life there, it's the word zoe in the Greek. It it means life in the spirit. 
a life of fellowship, a life of intimacy with God, a life of hearing God's voice. Who wants to go through that gate? Jesus said, few find it. You know, it's amazing. Even you, you go to a church and, and you meet with a crowd of people. How many really, truly know God? Have a real intimacy with God. Know what it is to, to hear his voice and have a true fellowship, friendship with God. Jesus said, few find it. Why? Because it's a narrow gate. He has to be your one thing. He has to be your, your one focus, your one vision, your one pursuit in life. I can't live like everyone else. I can't even like, live like many Christians. I purposely, I can't do what my flesh wants. I can't do what I want. I live that life where I seek him, his kingdom, his face, his presence. He's my one thing. It's a narrow gate, a restricted path. But I'm doing it because I'm getting through to meet with him. Now, a little picture for you. If you ever go on a little walk in the English countryside, you will find lots and lots of these gates. Now, they are narrow gates. And the reason they're narrow is they are designed so that only people can get through them and not livestock. And even people, you can only go through one at a time unless you want a very intimate experience. <laughs> These are narrow gates. What are they called? Kissing gates. The narrow gate is the kissing gate. Jesus doesn't ask us to live a life of restriction and denial because he's mean and controlling and harsh. It's because he wants a life of intimacy. When we're talking about getting rid of all this stuff and all this baggage, it's not because God wants us to be boring. We're getting rid of anything that would hinder our intimacy with Jesus. That's why we live this life pursuing him. This is why we live this life of holiness and righteousness and purity. It's not because Jesus wants to control us. It's because he wants to kiss us. I can't live like everyone else. I can't live even like some Christians. But I would rather deny self and gain heaven's kiss than live a life never experiencing true intimacy with Jesus. Can you say amen this morning? Um, Psalm 139, the psalmist said this, you hem me in behind and before. Some, we love singing songs, don't we, about, you know, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and being in wide open spaces and restrictions being limited and restrict, restrictions broken off and all this stuff. And that's one aspect of who God is and our, our experience with God. But the psalmist experience with God here is quite different. Yeah. He said, you hem me in 
before and behind. In other words, I'm in this place of restriction where I can't move, I can't go. It's like God has locked me into his will. God has locked me into his purposes. I couldn't escape his His plan for me even if I wanted to. Do you ever feel like that? You hem me in before, behind, but then it says this. You lay your hand upon me. He purposefully puts us in a place where we're restricted, where we can't move. Because it's in that place that he touches us. There's an old hymn that says, shut in with God in the secret place. There in the spirit, beholding his face, gaining more power to run in this race. Oh, how I long to be shut in with God. When was the last place, last time, you were locked in with Jesus. When was the last time you were in that narrow gate where it's like everything, you're shut off from the world. You're shut off from all the distractions. You're shut off from everything. And in that place, it's a moment of intimacy. A moment where you feel the kiss of heaven. Um, Song of Songs says this, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. If you've got the Passion Translation, you'll, um, in the notes, it makes this statement that in Hebrew, uh, the word for or the phrase to take a drink, particularly to take a drink of wine, is the same word as the word for kiss or sounds similar to the word for kiss. So when we come around the Lord's table, the communion table, and we drink wine, it's a moment of intimacy. A moment where we get rid of all the distractions. A moment where we get rid of all the junk that we've collected this week. A moment to get right with God. And as we drink in the wine, we're drinking in of his presence. And it's a moment when heaven can kiss earth. It's a moment when we can be kissed by Jesus. Now for some of us that language may seem weird or uncomfortable. But the Bible is using a human language, human experience to describe something spiritual. When it talks about being kissed, it's talking about really just having a moment of intimacy with him. When his presence comes so close that we can almost feel it. Have you ever been in that place where God just seems so close that it's almost like his presence is kissing your life? That's my prayer this morning, that all of this place, we would have such intimate, personal moments with Jesus, that it would be like heaven comes and kisses you this morning. Um, Let me read to you out of the uh, Song of Songs again. I'm reading out of the Passion here. Your love I will drink as wine and your words will be mine. For your kisses of love are exhilarating. More than any delight I've known before. Your kisses of love awaken even the lips of sleeping ones. 
Those beautiful words. It's like the presence of God minister to you, even as, even as you sat there. Your words of, ki- your kisses of love are exhilarating. More than any delight I've known before. Your kisses of love awaken even the lips of sleeping ones. You do know that fairy tales aren't original. A princess locked in a tower under a curse, asleep, and a handsome prince comes, kills a dragon, and defeats the curse with a kiss. Brings his sweetheart up from her slumber with a kiss. This morning, you may feel like you're in a spiritual slumber, spiritually asleep, but heaven's Prince Charming, Jesus. Heaven's champion, heaven's conqueror. He's already defeated the dragon. He wants to come and awaken you with a kiss this morning. He wants to come and revive you with a kiss this morning. Uh, Let me find another scripture in Song of Songs. Here we go. You brought me to the banqueting hall. Your banner over me is love. It says, revive me with your goblet of wine. Refresh me again with your apples. Help me and hold me for I am lovesick. I am longing for more, yet how could I take more? His left hand cradles my head while his right hand holds me close. I am at rest in his love. Anyone feel the presence of God just drawing close to them today? Heaven wants to come and kiss you this morning. You might say, well, I'm too ugly to kiss. You ever feel like that? There's nothing in me. Don't look at your husband. There's nothing in my life that will be attractive to God for him to kiss. You know the story of the prodigal son? When he runs away from his father's house, abandons his dad, spends all the family inheritance on wild living, ends up in a pigsty, comes back to the father's house smelling a pig. Now that wouldn't be pleasant for anyone. But even in a Jewish culture where pigs were unclean, that was even, it was like even worse. And when the father saw him, what does it say? He fell on him and he hugged him and he kissed him. And if you study the language there, it means that he, he didn't stop hugging him and he didn't stop kissing him. This wasn't just a quick peck on the cheek, now get in the shower. This was, I'm just so glad that you're home. I'm going to hug the smell of pig off of you. I'm going to kiss, even in your smell, even in your filth, even in your dirtiness. I'm going to kiss you until you know that you're loved. That's what it says in, in the Psalms. You kissed my heart with forgiveness. In spite of all I've done, you've healed me inside and out 
from every disease. You see, to Jesus this morning, there is no one too ugly to kiss. There is no one too dirty to kiss. There is no one too smelly to kiss. You might have been in the pigsty this week. You might have gone your own way. You might be here and maybe you have never given your life to Jesus before. But you have come in here and you know that you need forgiveness. You know that you need cleansing. The cross, the blood speaks of the fact that no matter who we are, heaven will kiss you. No matter who you are, God desires intimacy and relationship with you. And he comes to us this morning in all our filth, in all our sin, in all our shame. And he pulls us into himself and he embraces us and he kisses us. There's forgiveness in his kiss. There's healing in his kiss. There is wholeness in his kiss. As we come to the table, we're reminded of the crucifixion. And when I was reminded of that great um, hymn of the Welsh revival on the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide through the floodgates of God's mercy flood a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Nearly finished, but this again, this is in the footnotes of the passion. That the Hebrew word for, for to kiss, neshak, it means to equip or to arm for battle. Come on, that's good, isn't it? There is strength in his kiss. There is power in his kiss. His kiss gives us the ability to overcome. His, his kiss gives us the ability to defeat the enemy. His kiss gives us the victory. There is power, authority, victory in his kiss. It's all there in that moment of intimacy. Where heaven comes and kisses us. Like a sloppy wet kiss, a modern hymn says. <laughs> It's what I want to close with this morning. How do you respond to heaven's kiss? I get a bit uncomfortable with physical contact from strangers. <laughs> and one thing I've noticed is that when you're in the Americas, the further south you go, the more they like kissing. So the USA, they'll, you know, they'll give you a big bear hug. Uh, Mex you go a bit further down Mexico, they, they might give you kind of a, a kiss on the cheek. If it's kind of, you know, male, we'll do that with men and women with women. Argentina, it's like there are no rules. There are no boundaries. And I once preached at a church there were about, probably about 200 people there and I preached, we did the ministry time. And at the end of the meeting, the pastor got me to stand at the front and the entire church in a line came on one by one. They pulled me in and kissed me on both cheeks. I got, there was, there was I needed moisturizer from all the, the whiskers and the beards and 
and that was just the, the women. <laughs> a kiss is not pleasant when only one person wants to kiss. And the other one wants to run a million miles away. Heaven wants to kiss you this morning. What's your response? Is it to back off? Or I thought I'd just come to a church service. I didn't come for an intimate moment with Jesus, a moment where I'm vulnerable, a moment of encounter, a moment of intimacy. That's, that's not really why I'm here. Or this morning, will you kiss him back? You see, the Hebrew word for worship, one of the Hebrew words for worship, it means to kiss. You know that worship is not just singing songs. It's a moment of intimacy, a moment of connection, a moment when we kiss him. Psalm 2 says, kiss the son, hide from his wrath, take refuge in him. This morning, heaven wants to come and kiss you. Now, will you come and respond to that kiss? Will you release your worship, your love, your adoration? Because in that moment when heaven touches earth, when our lips collide with his, that is where freedom comes. That's where healing comes. That's where we're equipped and empowered. That's where we get the victory. Few people find that place. But I pray this morning that we will all know what it is to come through that narrow gate and have true intimacy with the lover of our souls.